Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Hello, hello, hello. This is a great bumper. I told Chris actually before the service, I said, how fun would have that been to have the old 90s sitcom Family Matters, right? Hey, real fast, um, sometimes I just think revival wrecks routine. And I want to say, I don't know where Linda's at. I don't know Linda, but that word was dead on. How many know in the presence of the Lord there's life? How many know in the presence of the Lord there's hope? There's restoration for all that you need. So Linda, thank you for that. That's exactly where we're going, honestly. I love how the Lord just confirms things. But hello, hello to everyone that's joined on the broadcast or listening on the podcast or here in the room today. We're just so glad you're here. You ready for the word? Psalm 9. It'll be on the screen. Psalm 9, verse 1. I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth, recount, and tell aloud all your marvelous works and wonderful deeds. I will rejoice in you and be in high spirits. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. In fact, do this with me. Let's say it again. I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth, recount, and tell aloud all your marvelous works and wonderful deeds. I will rejoice in you and be in high spirits. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Folks, there is power in I will. There's power in a fixed focus. There's power in the determined life. Because in life, whatever we focus on flourishes. And whatever we magnify in here gets magnified out there. I want to say that again. Whatever we focus on flourishes. And whatever we magnify in our hearts gets magnified in our thoughts and out of our mouths eventually. And this is really great until our focus is off of what God is doing in our lives and onto what he's doing in someone else's life. How many of you guys have been there before? A fixed focus that I, I need to actually fix this microphone. See, many times in my life, I've just been stewing in comparison and jealousy and it's exhausting. I don't know if this microphone's right, but we'll give it a shot. It's exhausting. How many of you guys have been there to the point where you're just exhausted by looking at what the Lord is doing in someone else's life saying, it's not happening for me. Why is it not happening for me? It should be happening for me. And I've been there. And the result of it was not me getting the things that I was focusing on, but instead distraction, depression, and depletion of the focus that was needed for me to walk out the purpose and the call of God in my own life. So I got to this place of just saying, Lord, I'm tired of living like this. And as he does, Jehovah Sneaky showed up <laughs> in my time of devotion with Jesus. And I opened the word and I was reading 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. And in it, Paul says, I give thanks to him who has given me the needed strength and granted me the needed strength and made me able for this. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit says this to me. Yeah, I've made you able for this, but not for that. Ugh. Now, my first reaction wasn't, oh, this is awesome. My first reaction is, come again. But that's what distraction does. That's what distraction upon the purpose of God on another person's life causes us to do. The distraction, the depletion, and the depression of the purpose for which we've been created. And so, 
what I want to say is that when we forsake our responsibility to faithfully steward this, whatever this is, in favor of pursuing that, whatever that is, even with good intention, folks, we're going to lose out in the long run. Why? Because what we start, we have to sustain. God is not required to finish anything he didn't author. He is the author and the finisher of our faith, but God is not required to finish anything he didn't start. What we start, we have to sustain. But what he starts, he supplies, he strengthens, he sustains, and folks, he finishes. So the title of my message today is, I'll have what you're having. But let's pray. Father, we do thank you in the strong, powerful name of Jesus for your word. Lord, we ask that your word goes forth with power today to do that which it was set out to do in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Today, we're going to look at a familiar story from a totally different perspective. And so if you have your Bibles, go with me to the book of Luke chapter 15. It'll be on the screen as well. I'm going to read from the ESV, but you can follow along as you will. We're going to start in verse 25, though, and for those of us joining on the broadcast or perhaps on the podcast, this is a familiar story of the prodigal son, but we're going, to, we're going to jump into the middle of the story where the son comes back and the elder brother steps in and sees what's happening. So again, starting in verse 25, the Bible says, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to them, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he, speaking of the elder brother, was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you, and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this young son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this brother was dead and alive and is alive now. He was lost and is now found. Now, what I want to do is I want to, I want to kind of laser in on a couple of verses here. First, let me ask, how many of you like me are the ultra responsible type A, choleric, driven, ambitious, I do things right the first time or I don't do them personality? I knew I was at the right church today. Mike, I'm really sorry. This mic's falling. Mm, I'm good. We're going to focus in on uh, verses 28 through 30 again. Um, But he was angry and refused to go in. This is what I want to say. When we're in a fit of jealousy and comparison and contempt and dare I say even bitterness, what do we do? We self-protect. We self-promote. He refused to go in where? To the Father's house. But that's exactly what self-protection does in our own lives. Self-protection keeps us insulated and isolated. We refuse to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came... Now, listen, why didn't he say when this brother of mine came? When this son of yours came, 
What does contempt, jealousy, shame do? It severs the ties of relationship. When this son of yours came, and it made me think yesterday when I was praying, when your father gets home, when this son of yours came, why not when this brother of mine? Because when we are insulated and isolated, stewing in our own shame and retribution about what we believe to be true, it separates us from relationship. Isolation is a scary place to be. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. So here he was. Like I said, where I started, when my focus, when my fixed focus was on what wasn't happening for me, I was distracted, depressed, and depleted of the purpose for which I had been created. Well, the same thing was true here. Distracted by what was happening for someone else, depressed by what wasn't happening for him, and depleted, hopeless, and unaware about what was always available for him. What we focus on in life flourishes. What we focus on in life, right. The father's response to him was this. Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. See, when we've decided that someone or God is against us, and you're saying, like, how do we decide that? Circumstances. If we pray, and we pray, and we contend, and we say, Father, I'm believing you for this, and this doesn't happen, what's often the thing that we decide? We decide, he must be against me. So when we decide that someone or God is against us, the focus on our perceived lack exaggerates our hopelessness. The focus on our perceived lack exaggerates our hopelessness. Why? Because whatever we focus on in life, I'm going to keep going back to this this morning. Worse what happens, folks, is this. Once we've made this decision in here, we unintentionally point a, spirit of, point a finger of accusation against the Father or another person, if you would have loved me, this would not have happened, or this would have happened, or this relationship wouldn't have failed, or I'd be married by now, singles, or I'd have kids by now, singles. We're gonna look at this later, because what I wanna say is it's orphan thinking and orphan living to miss what's right in front of us and then work for that which has already been made available to us in Christ. the elder brother had access to everything that was in the house of God, but he was acting like an orphan. What do orphans do? They hoard. There's obviously no provision available for me. It's orphan thinking and orphan living to miss what's right in front of us. Son, all that I have is yours. And then we unintentionally strive and work for that which has already been made available to us in Christ. Wanting what we can't have is actually in our primitive neurobiology. But it doesn't mean it's healthy. I have a, an almost four-year-old nephew, an almost two-year-old niece, and, and a, a new one on the way here in November. And baby girl knows what she wants. She may not be interested in what her brother's playing with, but when she sees him playing with something, what does she want? 
It's a simple example, but it illustrates the primitive point of what's inside of our anthropology. Wanting what we can't have is in our nature, but it doesn't mean it's healthy. I'm going to get real candid with you guys. Because about 15 years ago, I worked under a particular individual who will remain nameless. But to prove the point, because listen, it's not like I'm 10 yards ahead of this. I'm right in the thick of this, and I have to get before the presence of the Lord and renew my mind on a daily basis so that I can stay focused and fixed upon the purpose for which God has created me. I'm actually going to read you a journal entry. So this is, a, this is a journal entry from about 15 years ago. I worked under this particular individual and I wrote this. I said, Father, I'm so mad. I don't get this guy. Behind his kiddie pool depth of talent is utter ineptitude. We were using post-secondary words in a fit of rage. And behind that brews a steady stream of incompetence and disorganization. A few people see it. Not many though. They're blinded by his charisma, but I do. I see it. Hero to some, zero to me. It has been weeks and my frustration is mounting. I'm finding myself covering his errors, fixing his misguided decisions, and discovering unearthed layers of untruth and incompetence. What fires me up most? He's been here five weeks, and I've been here five years. I want his perks. I want his salary. I want his level of influence. How did he even receive this opportunity, Lord? After all, I believe I deserve it. Even worse, and this is the crazy part, because of my own orphan thinking and insecurity, I want his respect. Lord, you know I am way more qualified to do his job than he. I've been here longer. I'm the dependable one. I'm the faithful one. And I'm the jealous, disillusioned, angry one. The one acting like an orphan. Does that resonate with any of y'all? Maybe not word for word but, or situation by situation, but we've all been in places in life, especially if you're single in this room, where you're looking at your peers and saying, I'm 28, not in a relationship. I'm 30, not married. I'm 35, no kids. I'm 38, not married, no kids. What about me? I want, I think, I feel. 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 And there's nothing innately wrong with the desire. But where did I start today? Whatever we focus on, and that's great until our focus is off of what the Lord is doing in our lives and instead focused on that which he's doing in another person's life. We miss out in the long run. This mic is missing my mouth in the long run. You know, somehow I believe that this person's promotion, favor, and authority dictated and offset my potential, my future, and my portion. But see, this is where a lot of us get this wrong because we want quick fixes and easy answers when we're uncomfortable and don't think life is fair. 
In 2021, we are living in a cray-cray world. Would you agree? But if I could zoom out of this to teach a principle, it's this. How many of you know that what this world needs is people of stability, people of character, people of longevity, people, how, people who know how to go the distance in relationships, people who, now, who, who know how to uh, be consistent in their response to life? How many of you know that's what we need? It's a biblical metaphor, and I won't go too deep into this, too, too deep into the weeds with this, but how many of you know that what the world needs is new wine and rich oil from the presence of God to change hearts? Amen. But here's the challenge, and, and, and this is why distraction from the purpose of God on our lives is so insidious, because you have a grape amongst millions of grapes. You have an olive from an olive tree amongst millions of olives. But if that grape and that olive never undergoes crushing and pressing and hiddenness in the dark where no one sees, it will never produce the richness for which it was designed to be poured out on a people who need it most, and that is you and me. I am not discounting the loneliness. I'm not discounting the challenge of finding fulfillment in a distracted world. But what I am saying is fix your focus. Fix your focus. Whatever we focus on in life flourishes. That's why I began today with Psalm 9, a declaration of I will. See, I will is an emphatic statement. I will, I will do this. No matter what's happening to the left or to the right, I will. There's power and focus. I told Chris and Megan, we were praying in the back. While this is sort of a practical message, what I don't want to miss is, is the, the heartbeat to say that this is less about accomplishing something or walking into your destiny. You know, American Christians, we're so enthralled with our destiny. What's our destiny? What's our purpose? And I'm not discounting the, the reality of that, but what I'm saying is that the greatest calling of our lives is not to do something. The greatest calling of our lives is to be with someone, him. The greatest calling of our lives is to experience the reality of the presence of the Lord which will change our lives and in so doing change others' lives. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24. It's one of my favorite scriptures. Paul, Paul wrote this. He says, faithful is he who's calling you to himself. <sighs> faithful is he who's calling you to himself. It's not that we aren't called to do something. Look at PT and Pastor Therese and Chris and Meg. Like, this is a beautiful church. This is a beautiful family. Something was done. <laughs> but the primary call of all of our lives is, is to be with someone less about doing something, right? So the question is, though, is why do so many of us miss it in this department? Like if we actually knew that we would be self-sabotaging and 
um, stymieing our purpose? Why would so many of us continue to fall off the cliff? Go to Proverbs chapter 4, verses 23 through 27. Familiar scriptures to many of us. I'm going to drill this point home. It'll be on the screen. Keep and guard your heart with all vigilance and above all that you guard for out of it flow the springs of life. Verse 24, put away from you false and dishonest speech and willful and contrary talk put far from you. Here it is. Verse 25, let your eyes look right on with fixed purpose and let your gaze be straight before you. Consider well the path of your feet. Let all your ways be established and ordered aright. Turn not aside to the right hand or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. I love that verse 25. Let your eyes look right on with fixed purpose. Whatever we focus on in life. See, if we don't actively guard our hearts and take every thought captive, here's the slow drift that's bound to happen. Number one, comparison. I deserve it more. I deserve it more. Number two, complaining. I want it my way. Or if you're a product of the early 2000s and the late 90s like I am, the Backstreet Boys would say, I want it. Oh, come on. <laughs> Megan Rhea hooked me up. I want it. That's right. <laughs> and number three, complacency. Who cares? See, once the seed of comparison and jealousy is planted in our hearts, it's not long before that which is planted in our hearts comes out of our mouth. And the power of life and death is in the... Mm. Okay, let's back this up. Proverbs 4 is talking about keeping and guarding our heart. What is the heart? The heart is the soil, the ground by, by which all of the seeds of life fall upon, grow... This mic is giving me a workout today, but we're good. The heart is the ground upon which seeds fall and our potential is developed. Well, if we don't keep and guard that, every seed that falls is going to go by the wayside and die. See, we're, we're either nurturing or suffocating our potential by our words. And this is the point. See, when we focus our attention and energy on that instead of this, whatever this is or that is, we're going to remove ourselves from the process and the provision that would have yielded the results we were after in the first place. Think about that. Your father knows the purpose that he's created you for. But when we get distracted and just turned in circles by what's not happening in our lives and we take matters into our own hands, we, we then become the architects of our own future and oftentimes we're, we're using limited resources. And then we get into striving and we miss in the long run. See, giving attention and weight to our own limiting beliefs empowers them to control our thought life and eventually our choices. Folks, we always act upon that which we believe. Let's go back to what the elder brother said. He said, what about me? I've been here my whole life. What did he believe? He believed that he was lacking in provision from the get-go. Was it true? Was it true? We always act upon that which we believe. And so there's only one person as, as we're Drilling down on this point, there's only one person that can ultimately keep you and me from our potential, and it's you, and it's me. Right? 
as I said, while this is a practical message, the heart of the matter today is that I want to actually get underneath the surface. I want to kind of get beneath the hood of the car, so to speak. And I want to uncover the root of this issue, why this thing continues to stay alive. Guys, in its bitterness. It's bitterness. I'm going to go to uh, the book of Ruth. It won't be on the screen, but the reference will. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me. Uh, I'm going to read for a bit. We're going to jump through several verses here, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to exemplify this point quite well. Ruth chapter 1, starting in verse 1, but actually I want to back up. So Judges chapter 21, verse 25, the very last verse of the book of Judges kind of underscores how the book of Ruth starts. The very last verse of uh, the book of Judges says this, in those days there was no king in Israel Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Well, isn't that just what we're talking about today? Distracted, depressed, depleted. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. And so Ruth chapter one. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem of Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He, his wife, and his two sons. The man's name was Elimelech and his wife's name was Naomi and his two sons were named Malon, which means invalid, and Chilion, which means pining. They were from Bethlehem of Judah. They went to the country of Moab and continued there. Now, just to kind of unpack this, Elimelech, that was a really, really bad decision. Though there was a famine for him to discount the fact that the Lord was their provider, it was a really bad decision for them to pick up and go into a pagan land. That's, that's playing with fire. What did I say? Judges chapter one, verse 25. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Well, there you go right there. How many of us do that? When we don't see life working out the way we think it should, what do we do? We take matters into our own hands. It's orphan thinking and orphan living to miss what's right in front of us and to work for that which has already been made available to us in Christ. So let's pick up here again. Verse three, but Elimelech, who is Naomi's husband, he died. Right there, on the spot, and she was left with her two sons. And they took two wives of the women of Moab. The name of one was Orpah Winfrey, and the name of the other was Ruth. I couldn't help it. They dwelt there about 10 years. And Malon and Chilion died also, both of them. So the women were bereft of her two sons and her husband. So Naomi loses her husband, and their two sons, and here she is with her daughters-in-law in a pagan land, in a foreign land, going, what now? So I'm gonna fast forward, actually, because Naomi's saying, okay, we've gotta do something about this because I gotta get back to uh, a place of life. So she started a scheme. So she, she left the place where she was, her two daughters-in-law with her, and they started on the way back to Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go return each of you for, to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Now skipping down to verse 11, Naomi said, turn back my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that may become your husbands? Now this is really important in the story because historically it was customary that if a husband died a brother in the same family would come up 
underneath that husband and marry into the family as the kinsman redeemer to keep the family line alive. But remember what I said, when we've decided that God is against us, we exaggerate our hopelessness and look inside ourselves to find answers. That's exactly what Naomi did right there. She said, there's nobody to continue this family line. So you can see how these issues of the heart start to happen in her life. I'm going to skip down to verse 13 for time's sake. Naomi said, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Speaking to Naomi, or excuse, speaking to, uh, to Ruth and Orpah. Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it is far more bitter for me than for you that the hand of the Lord has gone against me. Then they wept aloud again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. And Naomi said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. And Ruth said, urge me not to leave you, Or to turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. I'm going to fast forward down again. So they go back to Judah. And when she came to them. So this is Naomi. She said, call me not Naomi. Which means pleasant. Instead, call me Mara. Which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out in full but the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why call me Naomi since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned and Ruth and the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her who returned from the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. That's what circumstances do when we don't deal with the issues of our heart. We, we unintentionally exaggerate the hopelessness and the reality of what's not happening in us, and then we unintentionally point the the finger of accusation at the Father and say, if you would have loved me, this would have happened, and then we call ourselves by a name that he never called us. The Lord calls us by name, but too often we call ourselves by our circumstances. See, too many of us are carrying around bricks of bitterness, Every single day. And these bricks of bitterness build the house of our heart and that house is called, I'll have what you're having. And we carry this thing around every single day and the baggage is heavy. It's self-centered. It consumes our focus. It blinds us from truth. It lies to us. It wears us out. It compromises our joy, steals our joy more specifically, and makes us sick. How many of us are carrying around bricks of bitterness because life just isn't what we wanted, what we expected? But we've normalized the experience of carrying that around, and it's no wonder we're distracted, and we're depressed, and we're depleted, and we're worn out, and we're frustrated. Can I get real real with you for a sec? The challenge is that in our post-truth, post-modern culture of pluralism, we have a culture who's more interested in speaking their truth and finding their truth than pursuing the truth. We have a whole culture of people 
whose anthem is speak your truth when the way, the truth, and the life is beckoning them. Worse, many Christians today, if I can just get real, real with you, are deconstructing their way into a life of just spirituality instead of a laid down life of discipleship to the King of Kings. You know, we hear about it today. I'm just spiritual. I'm just spiritual. Speak your truth. And I'm not trying to be um, degrading in any way, but I, I am being intentional in saying, will we pursue the truth? Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 32, that you will know the truth, and the truth will. I actually think this is what's fueling this whole movement today in our culture is the desire for freedom. But even, even the way by which we're accomplishing it from a cultural perspective is leading us to more captivity. Whatever we focus on in life, yeah. The reason bitterness stays alive is because we give it a peaceable name. You know, we say things like, it's just my season. And it may be. But the reason why bitterness is staying alive in our hearts is because we don't call it what it actually is. And here's a word that's not popular today. Sin. Bitterness is deadly sin. And the trouble is that when we treat our biases based upon how we experience the world as wisdom and live by a false reality that's negotiated by the literal powers of darkness, we miss out on the repentance that leads us to the truth, to the way, to the life that changes us from the inside out to see his purpose for us, to have our focus fixed on him, to be changed from the inside out, to be a vessel fit for the master's use. You think I'm... I'm being a little dramatic. Look at what James said. James chapter three, verses 14 and 15. James said, but if you have bitter jealousy, envy, and contention, rivalry, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not pride yourselves on it and thus be in defiance of and false to the truth. Here it is. This superficial wisdom This superficial wisdom is not such as comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, animal, and even devilish. Bitterness is delicious to the maligned soul because it confirms that which it already believes. You guys ever heard of a term called confirmation bias? Confirmation bias is is a state of being whereby we go through life and actually we look for things involuntarily to confirm the things we already believe to be true. Let's put this in context of what we read about with both Naomi and with the elder brother. I believe I am alone. I believe I am provisionless. I believe my life is isolated and hopeless. So we look for evidence to confirm the very things we believe to be true when none of them are true. Isn't that perhaps why Paul said, to us that we have to be con- uh, consistent in the renewing of our mind. Why? Because 
Some things may be true, but that doesn't mean they're truth. And when we don't renew our minds, singles, I'm 30 and alone, 35 and alone. Are you really alone or are you just single? The last time I was here, two years ago, I taught that single doesn't mean alone. And just because you're married, it doesn't mean you're whole. But if we don't renew, if we don't renew our minds to the truth, we could then say, ah, I'm single, I'm alone, I'm hopeless, I'm defeated, whatever the case may be. You know, the scary part about this whole mess is that after a while, the hardened, toxic heart becomes our default state and we unknowingly indulge in the fragrance of death, destruction, and confusion for the world to experience because we don't see the world as it is. We see it as we are. You know, earlier we looked at the elder brother and uh, we, we looked at Naomi and Ruth one. I actually want to show you a little bit of a case study to exemplify this point and to show you how bitterness shows up in our lives. And you can go to this first one. It's regarding Cain. So Cain in Genesis 4, fear that he lacked position caused him to have envy toward his brother and he killed him. Well, how many of you know that in the New Testament we read about envy being murder as far as our hearts are concerned? It's all fear. See, behind the bitterness is the fear. Next, Naomi, her fear, her issue was fear of lacking protection for her life. How did it manifest? How did the bitterness show up in her life? Though she had been victimized, she lost her husband, she lost her two sons. Though she had been victimized, she lived in the identity of a victim. So, so far, bitterness shows up in envy, murder, and victimhood. And then the elder brother, Luke 15, fear that he would lack provision showed up as pride and entitlement in his own life. So here we have it. Bitterness in the heart shows up as envy, murder, victimhood, pride, and entitlement because whatever they focused on flourished. And whatever we focus on flourishes, folks. See, we all have areas of dysfunction that have been normalized in our lives. And for many of us, whether you're single or married, the bitterness has been there for so long that actually we can't even recognize it anymore. And that's a scary thing because the default state, the default narrative by which we live is something that is anything but normal, but we don't know life without it. In fact, your, bri your bricks of bitterness probably have a name. worked so hard but no one sees me and I've tried and I've tried but I've been rejected if God or anyone close to me really loved me this wouldn't have happened. So I'm taking things into my own hands. 
Now I realize for some of you today, this may not be the case because you're saying, I wish my life was this. Because for you, it's cancer. It's the affair. It's waking up every day in pain for the 200th day in a row. And you just wish. You, you, you take the relationship trouble if you could just get out of bed. It's the miscarriage. It's the untimely death because of COVID. And none of it's right. None of it's okay. But because of fear, fear for protection, provision, position. And we decide that God is against us. We take matters into our own hands. I'm taking care of myself. And these tears fall because it's so real for me, guys. I was so exhausted. I worked so hard, God. Why don't you see me? And he says, son, everything I have has always been yours. Because whatever I was focusing on was flourishing in my life. And I want to say to you today, if this is you, It's time to unburden your soul. It's time to unburden your soul because what we miss is what Naomi missed. Watch this. She didn't see chapter 2. Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's. You have a kinsman. His name is Jesus. It's time to unburden your souls. Watch this. Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, say therefore, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses who have borne testimony to the truth, let us strip off and let us throw aside every encumbrance, every unnecessary weight that so weighs us down, looking away from all that distracts to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross. It's time to unburden our souls. And some of you are saying, Chris, I don't have the strength. You don't know what I've been through. You're right. But he restores your weary weary heart. But you've got to come to him in truth. You've got to bear your soul before him. Listen, the first step in getting rid of the burdens is actually stopping to stop pretending they're there in the first place. Jesus, I give you my burdens. Jesus, I lay these at your feet. Jesus, I don't know how to do this. And your I will, your determination, your fixed focus, laying your burdens at his feet, these bricks of bitterness, folks, laid before to the feet of Jesus, are lined up. Jesus, you can have my life. I will bless the Lord. I will worship you, Jesus. I will trust you with my life. I don't understand it, but I trust you. Lord, your word says that all things work together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. I've set the Lord continually before me. Because he's at my right hand, I shall not be moved. 
and the bricks of bitterness that once built your heart become the pathway upon which you will walk straight into his presence where renewal and life and hope will be found in the name of Jesus. For we do not have a high priest, the Hebrew writer says, who is unable to understand and sympathize and have a shared feeling with our weaknesses and infirmities and liability to the assaults of temptation, but one who has been tempted in every respect as we are, yet without sinning. Let us therefore fearlessly, boldly, and confidently walk into his presence. You can't fearlessly, boldly, and confidently walk into his presence when the bricks of bitterness are building your heart from the inside out. But you lay these at the feet of Jesus and everything changes. Lord, I give you my life. I will bless the Lord. I will recount your deeds. I've set you before me. I trust you. I don't see a way out, but you know a way out. Clean hands, pure heart. I will be set apart for you. Clean hands, pure heart. I will be set apart for you. Clean hands, pure heart. I will be set apart for you. That's who we are, church. That's who we are. That's who we are. If you want that, lift, if you want that, lift your hands. Father, I pray, I pray today, Lord, that today would be a marked day where we would encounter your presence, Lord, we, where we would be able to take these bricks of bitterness that once built the foundations of our heart and surrender them to you. Because, Lord, you waste nothing. You work all things together for good. And, Lord, we bless your holy name. Come on, stand and worship. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.